Hello everyone, welcome to Enjoy the Book of Life. Today we're going to be taking a trip to the land of Israel on our People, Places, Things episode. We're going to be looking at Samaria and the Samaritans. So, who are the Samaritans and why should we know about them? Well, going back far enough, we realized that the land of Israel was uh, divided into 12 tribes. But two of the tribes who were uh, actually the adopted grandsons of Jacob, uh, Ephraim and Manasseh, they were given the central section of Israel. And uh, this was considered the inheritance of Joseph. Mm. And uh, because they were given the central section, it meant that they were the the journeying, the path from Judah in the south to the Galilee in the north. Mm. And uh, so it was, a, it was a strategic location. Of course, in this land, there was the Vale of Shechem. This was where Mount Ebal and Gerizim were, which was the national amphitheater of the Jewish people in the early days. That's where they met. This is where Joshua had the um, curses and blessings read out. This is where, when he was an old man, he said, choose you this day whom you will serve. This is the place where Rehoboam appealed to the people and they rejected him because he wanted to lay on the taxes yeah. and where Israel was divided into two. And the two sections that were divided then were Judah, which was basically Benjamin and Judah, and then the land of Samaria, um, the central section, and all points north. So mm -hmm. that became the land of Israel. And uh, it was, uh, I think, maybe the third or fourth king in, in, in Israel that purchased um, this hill uh, from a man named Shumer, and uh, so the city became known as Samaria that was built there. And Samaria became the capital city of the land of Israel, like Judea had its center at Jerusalem. <clears throat> so there are some people who say that the, the word Samaritan also um, has behind it uh, the idea of um, a guardian, something like that. And may, it may be that the city itself was thought to be in the same way, but the Samaritans considered themselves the guardians of Judaism, the, the true Jews. Mm. Uh, we read here in Second Kings chapter 17 and verse 6, uh, we read that um, the king of Assyria went throughout all the land, went up to Samaria, besieged it for three years, that's verse 5. In the ninth year of Hoshea, the king of Assyria took Samaria and carried Israel away to Assyria. And then uh, he not only took these certain Jews away into Assyria, but then over in verse 24, we read, Then the king of Assyria brought people from Babylon, Kutha, Ava, Hamath, and from Sepharvaim, and placed them in the cities of Samaria instead of the ch children of Israel. And they took possession of Samaria and dwelt in its cities. So mm. the thought is that uh, these people considered themselves to be the original Jews because the other Jews were taken off into captivity. But in actual fact, what happened was that the king of Assyria, in order to subjugate the people, brought in his own people who intermarried with these 
people of Samaria, and therefore they were rejected by the Jews who came back after the time of captivity. Mm. Uh, so the, the Lord spoke about this a little bit um, when he, he used the picture of two baskets of figs, good figs and rotting figs, and the assumption of the people was the good guys will get to stay in the land, the bad guys will be taken off into captivity. Yeah. But by using this picture, the Lord was saying, no, um, in actual fact, the figs were a picture of their religion, not the spirituality, and at least the people that I'm going to take off into captivity have kept the Jewish religious observances. I'll work with them and I'll bring a spiritual remnant out of that to come back and restore the land. Mm. Whereas the ones I'm leaving in the land, they're they're not worth uh, working with, so to, so to speak. Um. In fact, we have this ironic statement a little bit later in 2 Kings 17 describing these people, uh, verse 33, they feared the Lord yet served their own gods. Hmm. But um, the Samaritans have their own uh, Pentateuch, the Samaritan Pentateuch, and uh, they uh, worshipped in Mount Gerizim. And to this day, there are uh, hundreds of them. They've intermarried. A lot of them are, have serious problems because of the intermarriage. But there are two main groups of them, one near Jaffa, down by Tel Aviv, and the other there at Mount Gerizim. They have a high priest, they still go up and sacrifice a Passover lamb, hmm. the only ones who do in the land. Yeah. Um, and so um, they, they believe that they are the, the real people um, of, uh, of uh, the Jews. And the Jews, uh, up through the time of Josephus, treated them as a kind of sect of the Jews. But if they wanted to convert and to become a true Jew in the minds of the, the Jewish people, uh, they would have to renounce uh, Mount Gerizim as the proper place. Okay. Okay. Now, they have their whole own theory about all this, which is entirely different to what I've told you. And their theory is that there was a split in Israel back in the days of Eli and, okay. and the, uh, the lineage of Phinehas, and that Eli, who was a, a very poor high priest, and his sons actually set up at Shiloh and Phineas and his line came and set up at Mount Gerizim which is of course where Joshua had first called the people to holiness and built an altar to the Lord there on Mount Ebel and so they say actually that the line of Eli is the corrupted line that ended up in Jerusalem mm. and that they're the bona fide uh, line uh, from from Phineas, so that's yeah. uh, that's their explanation of the distinction. Yeah, very interesting. Going back and then how they go back even further. What now? What in Scripture? Because they, you're talking about the origins here of the Samaritans, going back even to the city and where their name uh, comes from. But what in Scripture? If we're looking at tracing this through Scripture. Um, what has caught your attention when it comes to the Samaritans? Well, um, mostly, of course, the Samaritans are discussed in the ministry of the Lord Jesus in, mm. the, in the New Testament. Um, by the time um, the Lord Jesus was born, uh, the Samaritans were considered to be the, the off-scouring of the earth. And, and a Jewish male every morning would thank God 
he was not a Samaritan. They say mm. that if if the shadow of a Samaritan crossed your path, you wouldn't swallow your saliva. You would spit it out. Ooh. Yeah. Um, and so they felt very strongly against the Samaritans. Now, some of no, that... just there is... Yeah. It, was that because of the religious observance? Was it because they considered themselves what the Jews considered themselves? Where did that really come from? Right. So there was, first of all, the argument of a, where was the place where God had put his name, mm -hmm. right? Was it in Jerusalem or was it at Gerizim? The second thing was that the Samaritans only held to the Pentateuch, to the Torah. Okay. And they said that all of these other additions uh, watered down the true meaning of the that the Torah, as they had it, the Pentateuch, as they had it, was the official Bible, and everything else was okay. extraneous. Now, would those be the same? They're the the Torah uh, for each group. Uh, pretty close. Okay. Pretty close. Okay. Now, the Samaritans, interestingly, um, if you go to the the Samaritans who who live at Jaffa, they speak Hebrew. If you go to the Samaritans that live in uh, Mount Gerizim, they speak Arabic. Hmm. But they also, the, the, the leaders also speak uh, an early form of uh, a, like Akkadian, sort of what Abraham would have spoken oh, okay. before the, the rise and development of Hebrew. Hmm. Um, and so, um, of course, before Christ was born, um, we have the the period of time when the Roman Empire was in, in ascendancy, and the um, the um, the Greek Empire was collapsing, mm -hmm. and um, the Greek Empire had been divided into four parts um, when Alexander the Great died. And the Ptolemies were down in Egypt, and the Seleucids were up in Syria. And the uh, Seleucids, uh, under Antiochus IV, had tried to force the Jews to pagan worship, putting a sow on the altar in yep. Jerusalem and so on. Yep. This was more than the Jews could stand. And under John Hyrcanus, who was a, of the priestly family, and his sons, one of whom was known as Judah Maccabeus, Judah the Hammer, um, they rose up in rebellion and drove the Greeks out of the land. So for a relatively short period of time, the Jews actually ruled their own country. Mm -hmm. And uh, this was the Maccabean Empire. You can read two books of the Maccabees in what are called the apocryphal books, the books that were written between Malachi and Matthew. And uh, during that time, the Maccabees came to Samaria and destroyed the Samaritan temple. And mm. so this was really what the woman at the well was poking at mm. when she said, uh, we, our fathers worshipped, past tense, in this temple. You think Jerusalem is the place. Yeah. And so she was basically rubbing it in and saying, you Jews destroyed our temple. Right, uh, right, yeah. right. So there, there was a great deal of animosity. Now, as a result, uh, Orthodox Jews would not travel through the land of Samaria, which made it very difficult. They would have to leave Jerusalem, go down through the wilderness of Judea, cross over the Jordan River, travel up on the other side, which was very dangerous, all sorts of highwaymen, robbers, and so on. 
and they would travel up the other side and then cross over again south of the Sea of Galilee uh, in order to get into the region of Galilee. Yeah. Um, so as we're reading the New Testament, we need to keep these ideas in mind because they're going to be sitting just under the surface as we're reading about those Samaritans. Yeah, yeah, and with that, uh, you're talking about how Samaria it's in the middle, and Judah's in the south, and Galilee's in the north, and and this really affects uh, the story of the Good Samaritan, mm -hmm. which when we hear about Samaria, it's perhaps the thing that jumps to our mind first. Yes, it, it's so ironic when you think of what the Jewish people thought of the Samaritans, that the average person on the street today, if you said Samaritan, the word association would be good. Yes, right. right. <laughs> and this is all because of the Lord Jesus, right? Yeah. So the story is being told about a Jewish lawyer uh, who has heard that Jesus is teaching a shortcut to heaven, that you can get to heaven without keeping the law. Mm. And so he tries to trap the Lord Jesus. And instead of Jesus answering his question, Jesus said, you answer the question. And the answer was uh, to, you know, what, what is the greatest commandment? Um, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and soul, and strength, and love your neighbors yourself. And the Lord Jesus said, excellent. The, the, you've got the right answer there. Go do it. Yeah. And the man realized he had fallen into his own trap because now all his neighbors were standing around perhaps with their little list of here are the things I'd like you to do for me to prove that you love me as you do yourself. Yeah. Uh, and so he looked to Jesus to help him out of the trap and uh, said, who is my neighbor, right? In other words, the way a lawyer gets around things is by redefining things and, yeah, and, right. and, and redefining things out of existence. And uh, the Lord Jesus told this story about the Good Samaritan. The road that he selected was not by random. This was the very road that Jews took to avoid the Samaritans. And Jesus tells the story of a Samaritan who's riding down that very road with his little first aid kit, looking for people in need. So he's he, the Jew in the story, the, the main character, is on the road to avoid Samaritans. That, that, that around, round about where you said it's a treacherous, dangerous road, Right. Skirting the, the area to get up to Galilee. Right. Okay. Right. And so he's fallen among uh, thieves. And uh, it's, it's shocking because in actual fact, when we apply the story, we realize that the man lying in the ditch is the, Samar is the, is the lawyer. Right. Well-dressed, right. well-heeled, well-educated lawyer. Jesus says, when I look at you, I see a poor man who's beaten mm. and robbed and nearly dead. Yeah. And um, Jesus was not making fun of, of uh, priests and Levites. They were his idea. Yeah. But what he was saying was, when you're lying half dead by the side of the road, religion isn't going to help you. Mm. Keeping the Ten Commandments aren't going to help you. What you need is a Savior. Yeah. And, uh, and so Jesus uses this illustration. He didn't cross the road. Uh, he crossed the universe to come and rescue us. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and so th there's this beautiful picture in which the Lord is rubbing it in, so to speak. He's driving home the point that um, a neighbor is any person who has a need 
that we meet in the circumstances of life where we can meet that need. If you can meet the need of someone that you meet, um, then you should help them. Mm. Yeah, a funny little adage that G.K. Chesterton used to say is that Bible tells us both to love our neighbors and to love our enemies, because very often we'll find that they're the same person. Yeah, there you go. They're the people who are, you know, we're, we're around the most, yeah, yeah. And, and whoever uh, come into contact with. I think it's interesting that the Lord Jesus you, you're showing here, he crosses the road, uh, he's the savior in the, in, in the story, yeah. and this is the person that they look down on, and here he is stooping right. down to, to save, and Jesus is linking himself in, in identity with the Samaritan. Right, um, right. So on one occasion, they were so angry with Jesus, they said what they thought would be the most hurtful thing. They said, you have a Samaritan, or you are a Samaritan, yeah. and you have a demon. Yeah. And Jesus responded by saying, I don't have a demon. Right. <laughs> he didn't say, I'm not a Samaritan. Yeah. So he was the Lord of the Samaritans as much as he was the Lord of the Jews. Mm. And uh, this is beautifully proven, of course, uh, when we have the story of the woman at the well. Mm -hmm. And here we have this shocking statement. Uh, the King James says, he must needs go through Samaria. I remember Jim Flanagan telling the story that when he was there, he said to his Jewish guide, now the scripture here says, you know the story, uh, the scripture says he must needs go through Samaria. He said, why do you suppose it says that? And the man said, well, this is the shortest route from Judea to Samaria. And he said, yes, I know that. But it doesn't say that. It says he must needs go through Samaria. Why Why do you suppose it says that? And he said, well, it's, it was the safest route. Yes, I know that. But, but why does it say he must need? Because if I were to ask you, would Nicodemus have gone this way? Oh, no, he would have gone down uh, and, and taken the, the long route, the, yeah. the detour. Well, why do you suppose it says that? And finally, the guide said, I suppose it means he had to meet that woman. Yeah. And that's exactly the case, right? And so this was a shocking thing. It was shocking to the woman. Mm -hmm. She said, "What you know, the Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans. And so uh, this is the second important story. And, and here, uh, what's so startling is that uh, the Lord Jesus reveals the truth that we can have God as our personal father. Mm. Now, in the Old Testament... God was seen as the father of the nation of Israel. Israel was his son in a corporate sense. But the concept that Jesus would say, I ascend to my father and your father, when you pray, say, our father. Mm. It's, it's, uh, it's my father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom, right? A fear not, little flock. Uh, uh, he says... Uh, my, it's my father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom and the father himself loves you and so on. It, Jesus came to teach us how to say Abba, how to enter into intimacy with the father. Mm -hmm. And so uh, th this, is, this was an entirely shocking thing to Jewish theologians of the first century that Jesus would unfold to this woman the truth that the father was seeking worshipers just like her. Mm. Yeah. Uh, it was absolutely remarkable. And so uh, the Lord Jesus then says something quite surprising. After the woman leaves and goes into the town, 
and the disciples show up and, uh, and they say, you're probably hungry, aren't you? And he said, I have food to eat that you know nothing about. Hmm. Um, he, was, he was, as it were, feeding on this wonderful relationship he now had with this woman and he was praying her into the town as she went with her testimony. And, uh, and then he goes on to say, um, one sows and another reaps. And he explains how there is this process of work that, especially when you're dealing with difficult situations like the Samaritans, uh, there has to be a softening up of the ground, a tilling of the ground. There has to be a work, a slow process where the rain falls and softens the soil and eventually the seed and then the cultivation of it before you begin to see a harvest. And he was telling them, I'm actually in the middle of this process. Yeah. Uh, yeah. John the Baptist came and the people of Samaria went to hear him. Mm. And we know that the woman at the well had been exposed to that because she said, when the Messiah comes, he'll explain everything. Right, right. So she was anticipating the Messiah. And he says, I that speak unto you am he. You're, you're talking to the Messiah, right? Well, then after Jesus, after John had worked with them, and then Jesus had worked with them, then we discover that Philip came and he worked. Mm -hmm. And Philip reaped where Jesus had sown because we read that Jesus stayed on in the area, still working in the area after this woman. And then Philip came and he was seeing quite a harvest and the Lord called him away to intercept the Ethiopian eunuch. But then Peter and John show up. And so there's this idea that one sows and another reaps, and so the process continues. Char uh, Charles Spurgeon said he didn't know of one instant when he preached the word of God that someone didn't get saved. Hmm. But he also didn't know of one person saved in which he was the only link in the chain. Right, right. Yeah. <laughs> there were other people who were sowing and he was reaping. You know, well, so well, that's that's a great lesson from the woman at the well. Yeah, I think just when you're talking about worship, we talked about the 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 conflict between the Jews and the Samaritans when it came to worship, and how if you were to ask a Jew in that day, they would want the Samaritans to stop worshiping, mm -hmm. and that wasn't the message of the Lord Jesus. It was to worship, but to worship in spirit and in truth. Uh, right. that that it was correct worship and, and so this the way the lord jesus he didn't snuff things out uh like well no don't do that but it's like no worship but worship in spirit and in truth mm -hmm. uh the same when you know she says i have no husband again he didn't just snuff her out and say well you liar right. um but right. but uh instead he he's you can see him at work. He he wants them, and and in that way, it not just as the savior of the Jews, but in John four, that's where it first calls him the savior of the world, uh -huh. and we see it in the Great Commission, where he says, "Go to Jerusalem, go to Judea, go to Samaria, mm -hmm. go to the other uttermost parts of the world," and mm -hmm. and. Uh, we see the apostles going to Samaria, like you were saying, and it happens just before Peter gets called to the Gentiles. Uh -huh. And so it is, it's, it's like 
surely you know ha halfway house yeah surely lord <laughs> this is as far as you want us to go i'll know <laughs> that that next step so peter who even he had been with the lord jesus he had seen him with the samaritans uh he was there you know he was one of the winner to get the food mm -hmm. and so he had seen this but then the next step where the lord calls him to go to the house of cornelius and i think yeah it was those baby steps I think each came with the challenges. I mean, to yeah. preach in Jerusalem the, to the people who crucified the Lord Jesus um, had it, you know, but then moving out uh, yeah. Samaria and then the uttermost parts of the world. Yeah, and it's a good thing to practically ask ourselves, where's my Samaria, right? Uh, mm -hmm. Northern Ireland sent more missionaries around the world than probably any other piece of real estate. But they found it extremely difficult to go to the south of Ireland. Wow, yeah. Uh, in in South India, the Indians they they carried on the work of God in Fiji, in uh, the the Middle East, all through all through the Middle East, the Persian Gulf area, uh, into the Caribbean, many mm. places the Indians took the gospel, but they found it most difficult to go up into North India. It's only in the last twenty years or so they really have done a work in North India. So uh, we all have those places, those Samarias, like uh, Lord, anywhere but there. Right, um, but the Lord Jesus lays out this model for us, yeah. and it's interesting. Of course, in the context we have John three, where Nicodemus, uh, he's a ruler of the Jews. He's very slow in coming to Christ. Yeah. He thinks he's got so much to lose. The woman realizes I got nothing to lose and everything to gain, and she's probably the best evangelist before Peter preaches. At uh, Pentecost, he's about the best evangelist we see, where the whole city came out to Jesus. Yeah, yeah. And and her message was so clever. I think she she didn't say I found the Messiah because they'd say like like Andrew said to Peter, like what seminary did you go to? How would you know the Messiah? Right. Yeah, yeah. But she said, "Come see a man that told me everything I ever did. It couldn't be the Messiah, could it?" And this is one of the greatest truths regarding the gospel. People miss this, that, that with the gospel, we discover there is one person in the universe we can be completely honest with, and he loves us just the same. Hmm. Right? And that's what, that's what the people caught hold of. Why does this woman think it's a great idea right, that right. somebody knows her unexpurgated addition uh, because they knew a good bit about her right and that was like, probably too much really yeah. why is she so happy and then the, it dawned on them maybe he knows all about her and he still loves her maybe mm -hmm. i can be honest with him and he'll love me too oh uh, it's a great truth <laughs> you know to to have that uh, and there's no other religion in the world let's lets you be honest with god yeah. you got to pretend you're good ask a person how you doing oh doing pretty well doing the best i can yeah. the the true sinner says i I'm hopeless without a Savior. There's no way I can make it. Mm -hmm. hey, we see that in First John where the key to fellowship is to walk in the light. Yeah. Uh, that, yeah. Those two things are tied completely. Yeah. Any other big stories with the Samaritans? Yes. The, the third uh, leg of the stool, if you will, is the story of uh, ten leprous men. And they have this strange fellowship of suffering. Mm -hmm. You know, we meet people in the emergency room of the hospital or in, in the funeral home, and they're kind of the last people we'd sort of mingle with, but we're thrown together in the crises of life. Mm. 
and all of a sudden we're sitting in the cancer ward and we're talking to someone or we're, we're hooked up to a di dialysis machine and the people beside us, all of a sudden, we have this strange fellowship of mm. suffering. Yeah. You would never think of a Samaritan and, and these Jews hanging together, but uh, they, they were all they had for each other. So the Lord Jesus uh, asked this plaintive question, were there not ten cleansed? But where are the nine? Well, where the nine were was going to the priests in, in Jerusalem. There's a very detailed outline of what a cleansed leper had to do to qualify to be reintroduced into society. It had been sitting there for 1,500 years and it had never been used. And the reason we know that is that the Lord Jesus at 30 years of age announced that uh, there had been many lepers in Israel. None of them were cleansed except Naaman and he was a Syrian. Yeah. And so he didn't go to Jerusalem and none of the others had the faith to believe. So here are the first men going. They're going to a group of priests who do not want Jesus to be the Messiah. But in checking out these men, they're actually providing the evidence mm. to convince people that he is the Messiah. Yeah. And it's uh, just a, a wonderful thing to see this Samaritan man who falls at Jesus' feet and worships how it must have been such a joy to the Lord Jesus to to see this thankful heart. This, And it's a good question to ask ourselves as we look very often in the churches and we see lots of entertainment, lots of preaching, lots of activity. The question is, where is the worship? Where is the thanksgiving, right? Where is this, this heart's desire to return to give thanks to the Lord? The Lord's Supper is the most neglected meeting in the evangelical church, and it ought not to be that way. And we might ask ourselves the question, where are the nine? Mm. Yeah, yeah. Just that idea of returning with thanks. You know, very often we'll find ourselves, uh, or we shouldn't find ourselves, in praying for something, praying, 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 and then there's an answer. Mm -hmm. You know, the 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 prayer is answered, right? The leprosy is gone. And then we rejoice, but do we give thanks? Yeah. And yeah. and there he returned thanks. Uh, he, he came back to the Lord Jesus and, and thanked him. And, yeah. and uh, what a good reminder that is. Yeah, yeah. So some real big lessons here. Yes. It just yep. when we're looking at even those three stories mm -hmm. um, and, and the connections. And, and there's that a fourth that's a little different. Okay. In the fourth story, we have the Lord Jesus and the disciples, and they're kind of a through train. They're heading to, to Jerusalem. And uh, some of the disciples go ahead into one of the villages of Samaria to see if they can prepare a place for them to stay over or perhaps get some food or whatever. When the, the local Samaritans find out that Jesus is not lingering in Samaria, he's actually going south to Judea, they, don't, they won't have him. Just keep moving, fellas. We, we don't want you here. Well, this quite offended the disciples. And um, James and John, uh, this is how they got their nickname as Sons of Thunder, they said to Jesus, uh, should we call down fire from heaven? upon these people the way Elijah did. Yeah. 
Now, uh, you have to give them credit for knowing the story of Elijah calling down fire from heaven, because a lot of people don't even know that story. Uh, but uh, the Lord Jesus responded by saying, you don't know what spirit you're of. Hmm. I didn't come this time to judge the world, but to save the world. And for a long time, I thought what Jesus was saying was this. John the Baptist is more like Elijah, and I'm more like Elisha. So Elijah was confrontational, calling down judgment, whereas Elisha's ministry was gentle and gracious, always adding, always encouraging. It almost seemed like Elisha showed up in a different country than Elijah did. He kept finding more and more people, like the one woman of Shunem, and like the uh, schools of the priests or of the uh, prophets here and there and everywhere. All these other people that you meet that really are uh, quite serious believers. Mm -hmm. uh, but that's not what he was saying. What he was saying was there were two times that the fire fell in the ministry of Elijah. Right. And the first time the fire fell, it fell on the sacrifice. On Carmel. That's right. And then at the end of Elijah's life, he's always been the Lord's man, following the Lord's direction. And you know the story how uh, this is Ahab's son has fallen, Ahaziah, and uh, has got some internal injuries. He doesn't know if he's going to die or not. So he sends a crew, of all things, to Philistia to check in with Beelzebub, mm. which means Lord of the Flies, right? And uh, so they head off, and Elijah intercepts them. And he says, what are you doing, fellows? Well, they tell the story, and he said, I can save you the trip. Uh, is there no God in Israel that you have to go down and check with flies? Yeah. Uh, so you can go home and tell the king he's going to die. So they return post-haste, and the king is like, you're back already? Yeah, well, this fellow stopped us, and he told us what was going to happen. What did he look like when they describe, you know, the his garment, hairy fellow, and so on? He, he says, that's that Elijah. Go get him, right? This is not an invitation to tea at the palace. Yeah. He is, he is, uh, this is, they're, they're going to arrest him. There's been an outstanding warrant since his mother Jezebel and father Ahab sought his life. And so he's sitting there and this, this commander, this uh, sergeant, and 50 men show up. And this is, this is a show of force. This is to take him by force. And um, he says, look, if, if I am a man of God, then let fire come down from heaven and consume you and your 50. Right? Mm -hmm. And it happens a second time. And the third time, the, the officer pleads for mercy, and he gets it. Mm -hmm. And Elijah then goes with them to see the king. Um, so, so this is quite clearly uh, Jesus explaining, you fellows don't understand, this is the first, the fire's going to fall on me at Calvary, and mm -hmm. I'm going to take the judgment, I'm going to take the wrath. For those who reject the gospel, I will return in flaming fire, wreaking vengeance on those that know not God and obey not the gospel, Second mm -hmm. Thessalonians chapter 1. So that is going to happen. But I didn't come this time to judge the world. I came this time to save the world. Um, now that's earlier on, actually, before they received him. So Jesus and the disciples go back through Samaria again, and mm -hmm. this time they, he was received through the testimony of the woman 
who went into the city and they all came out to Jesus. And so there was a great work of God done there. Initially, they were quite, quite resistant to Jesus and the disciples uh, because they considered Jesus a Jewish holy man. Uh, but, but through the gracious work of the Lord, they, their hearts were softened. And as we said, the, the, the seed was sown and then it harvested and so on. The generations of crops um, that, uh, that resulted because of the willingness of the Lord Jesus, not just to go through once, but then to go back through again. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and, and God worked in Samaria. Yeah, yeah. I I think, again, going back to this idea that he's presented there in John 4 as the savior of the world. that And, and like we talked about, that progression uh, where you have people getting the ground ready and sowing and watering and, and the same sort of thing is, is talked about in 1 Corinthians. Yes. One, one sows another, or one plants another waters. Yeah. But God gives the increase. Yeah. And how the, that plot of land, it was always his, and the world is his, and and how he wants them. I think of uh, you know Stephen's speech to the, to the folks in Jerusalem, and how he includes Samaria in it. Hmm. Uh, you know, a little poke in the eye sort of thing, where he's looking at the presence of God, and and he includes the area of Samaria, the area given to Joseph, right. Yeah how Joseph was rejected by his brethren and and then here now his little plot of land for yeah. Ephraim and Manasseh is rejected. Yeah. Yeah. And so well the, the 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 ark was first placed at Shiloh. Yeah. Um in in the land of Samaria. Yeah. It's interesting just a little aside but um you know as time draws to a close every false cult is rearing its head again. Hmm. And Ironically, although the original Samaritans uh, are very few in number, uh, the religion of the Samaritans has caught on. For example, in Brazil, there are 20,000 people who, who worship as Samaritans. Interesting. Yeah. And you have this whole movement, this, this uh, black movement, where they recognize Haile Selassie, uh, who was the leader of Ethiopia, as the lion of the tribe of Judah, the whole Rastafarian movement is based on this idea that actually they're the true children of Judah. Hmm. And so uh, the enemy will, he will spread confusion wherever he can. And to think that 2000 years after what was really the collapse of Samaria, um, people are converting to a false religion that is uh, that's based on this um, these rotting figs, so to speak. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> They're embracing right. the rotting figs. But even just going back to John four and seeing what the Lord Jesus taught there, with the idea of of uh, uh, worshiping in spirit and in truth, and how it it the the new wine breaks the old wineskins, uh, as it were, with with Judaism with uh, this idea of the Samaritans, where this it, it doesn't fit, yeah. and and when when we look into these passages, we see that I think very clearly. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, good. I I think very interesting with with the history of it, how it built up, 
but then all these stories through and these uh, looking at the history the things you you pulled out showed certain nuanced things with the this good samaritan the path uh that a lot of people took as well as the little jab by the samaritan woman about the past tense of worship so some helpful things that that pull in uh what was going on uh in uh how how would you say the the subtensions uh in those conversations and i think right there the lord jesus was dealing with some tense cultural issues and uh we see this uh not that we should seek it out again the lord jesus he wasn't bashing uh, worship uh he was encouraging the things of god and he was saying what what does God think about worship? Let's do that. Uh, th this is how we can be worshipers. And he was actually uh, very skillfully maneuvering through these tense situations. He wasn't stoking the fire, right. but he was maneuvering through them uh, to draw and drawing people to himself as mm -hmm. the savior of the world. Yeah, yeah. And and really, at the heart of all these stories is the common need, right? Yeah. This idea of the, the man lying by the side of the road, yeah. he the common need, the woman at the well. Uh, you know, he, he says, we met at a well for a reason. Yeah. You yeah. get thirsty, I get thirsty, but I happen to have superior water if you'd like some, right? Yeah. And the same with the with the, the, the Jewish and, and Samaritan leper. Yeah, we're, we're all in this together. We yeah. all have the same spiritual needs and we all can find the same answer in the Lord Jesus. Mm. Yeah, that's good. That's real good.